everyone, and welcome back to another episode of... And before we start the episode of Evil Man, I just want to say that I'm a very nice guy, sincerely. So if I do anything nice for you, please tell other people. Thank you. I second that, Chris. You're one of the nicest guys in show business in Canada. I can't stop telling people about it. You know what, Mike? You're very, very nice, too. And guess what? You've heard that, folks. Uh, Evany Rosen is back uh, with us for part two of Napoleon Bonaparte. Evany, you're a very nice person, too. How do you do it? Oh, God. Well, I just try to do things that people will tell other people is nice. As much as I can. (laughs) And that's kind of how the rumor spreads. James... Are you a nice guy? I think I'm sort of famously nice. You yeah. actually are a famous. James nice is guy, famously James. nice. You are famous. No, I, don't, nice. I can be grumpy. I, I, I admit I can be. Nobody grumpy. knows except for me and Mike. <laughs> and me and Mike. Oh, Literally, you, you three people are the only people you're I like get Christ grumpy toward. In, in that you're never grumpy <laughs> <laughs> publicly. Publicly, Mike. I'm Mike, always eating fish. I think <laughs> Mike and I, and sure, Evany. Are the closest people to James? Yeah, in that order. And yeah. we've seen him. We've seen him grumpy. Oh no! Question. So you heard it here. You heard it here first. But the reason why I'm doing the I'm nice gag. Yeah, what's up? Is because we left off talking about Napoleon's PR uh, uh, techniques, and I thought that was very interesting. Yes. That yeah. he would let a little drummer boy eat chicken with him, and so that drummer boy would <laughs> imagine write him write a letter to everybody saying like. Napoleon's He's nice, so dude. Cool. Imagine so him on chicken. Instagram or yeah. TikTok. He'd be doing one of those TikTok videos, like where it's like music playing and he's pointing to words around him, and yeah. you know, like he'd really be pushing hard to make it seem like he was a nice, sweet man. Yeah, I mean, we don't have to get right back into Napoleon yet, but I mm. do wish he was around during TikTok. <laughs> Me, to, literally, Chris. There is nothing I wish more in my life than Napoleon for real could have TikTok. <laughs> I would be in heaven. <laughs> hey. Would he dominate countries at that point, or do you think it would the TikTok uh, would be fine enough for his uh, his ego? I know. I think it. W- I think it would be multi tiered. He'd still. Want I think countries. he'd have like. A, I think he'd be like. He'd be one of those people with a lot of hyphens in what he does. Are there you know TikTokers I mean? that we can think of right now who have designs on being an emperor or would desire more power? I really like this I- I- Instagram guy called Tony P. <laughs> who. Uh, He's from Washington, D.C., and he's like a 25-year-old bachelor living in D.C., and he always does these day-in-the-lifes of himself and what he's wearing, and he's just a... Oh, and he... Oh, he he like invented vibrant masculinity. Yes, he <laughs> came up with this term, vibrant masculinity, which basically just means you know mean? you can be a man and also enjoy hobbies like cooking and... <laughs> So you it's know, like a nice. No, you can't, <laughs> Tony P. What he found like um, a nice healthy thing in the middle of like toxic masculinity. Yes, and the opposite. Of what's opposite? <laughs> yes. Uh, so I like this guy Snow Tony P. Him. He's a great Instagram follow. I'm gonna follow him. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I might not follow. Him. Here's a question. We we talked about Napoleon last episode being from Corsica. Who are other famous Corsicans? Are there any Corsican celebrities? Googling it. You know. 
I in Hollywood are che- uh, Cheech and Chong. John made <laughs> the Corsican brothers. Cheech and Chong. <laughs> <laughs> I remember no. watching that movie, The Corsican Brothers. No, edit Corsican that part out. <laughs> <laughs> Can you edit out, James, that I said Cheech and Chong? <laughs> Cheech and Chong. Okay, do you want to know, according to Wikipedia, uh, Wikipedia. <laughs> famous Corsican people? Absolutely. Um, a musician called Patrick Fiore. A musician called Jennifer. Mm-hmm. Jennifer. <laughs> Jennifer. Um, Jennifer. Napoleon. <laughs> Jennifer. <laughs> yeah, most famous Patrick Fiore. <laughs> <laughs> Siri, name the, uh, the three most famous Corsicans. Napoleon Bonaparte. Jennifer. <laughs> Patrick Fiore. It's also a cyclist. You mean after Jennifer? <laughs> I don't know. Um, I guess Napoleon. How much of Europe did Jennifer conquer? <laughs> There's literally nobody else famous. No. I, mean, I mean, it's very tiny. There, there's a long, ju- there's a long jumper and a cyclist yeah. who are famous, I guess, and like a few soccer players. Right. So that's it, and a few writers. But Napoleon, by far, the biggest Corsican, he as far it. as I can tell. Yeah. That's that's wild. Yeah. It's um, is is uh, what's that old Rossellini movie? Uh, is Corsica the same island that Ingrid Bergman has to go to when she marries that weird Stromboli? Fisherman? Yeah, it might be Stromboli. I think it's, it's different. <laughs> do you guys know? Or yeah, but do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Do you guys know this movie? No. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. Uh, Roberto Rossellini, is that his name? Yeah. <laughs> the director? Yeah. <clears throat> he, he directed this movie with his wife, uh, in the, starring in it, Ingrid Bergman. And she's this fancy lady who just wants to get married and she marries a... Don't we all, gals? A course. Well, you got it. You scored. Yeah. You married the nicest man in Toronto Comedy. <laughs> you got that ring yeah, on your finger? According reputation, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and and I, we were, me and Mike were there, and during their vows, Ebony kept... You said he's the nicest man ever, like, three times? Thrice. Yeah. Thrice is nice. If you say it thrice, it makes it so. And your vow... <laughs> if you say he's the nicest man ever thrice, Beetlejuice shows up. Yeah. <laughs> And, James the altar. and he fights Candyman <laughs> <laughs> to the death. In the <laughs> sky, which is beautiful. Yeah. Well, you, you the each wedding wrote, was sick. You wrote your own vows. We did. And yours were beautiful, Ebony. Thank you. But James, your vow, you, you just kept saying, I promise to be the nicest guy. <laughs> and you, kept, you started singing. You're like, yeah. I'll be the yeah. nicest yeah, right. guy you've ever seen. The nicest <laughs> guy. You know what I mean. <laughs> At least I hope you do. <laughs> Imagine I, pl- I brought out a ukulele or something. That would have been nice. That'd be so random. A <laughs> random wedding vows. <laughs> Mike, it is Stromboli. <laughs> Point one for Lithuanian Michael. Karen, Ingrid Bergman, flees her war her name ravaged. Is Lithuanian Karen. <laughs> yeah, she's also a rapper in this movie. Um,. Flees her war-ravaged home country and winds up in Italy, where she's sent to an internment camp. There Sounds she meets funny already. Antonio, <laughs> played by Mario Vitali, a POW who's just been freed. They enjoy a brief romance, punctuated by Antonio's marriage proposal, and Karen, seeing her chance to escape the camp, accepts. But Antonio takes her back to Stromboli. Uh-oh. Okay, it's not Corsica. Stromboli is actually the... I, I want you to like keep a, reading it, but imagine that, that Antonio is played by Mario Batali. That's what I honestly <laughs> heard. I'm like, the chef? Canceled chef. <laughs> Mario Batali. <laughs> Canceled chef. So he takes her back to Stromboli, the volcanic island he lives on, Uh-oh. and Karen struggles with a language barrier, brutal living conditions, and her outsider status. And I hate to say it, but the shittiness 
of her life once she arrives on the island, which is the majority of the film, is pretty funny. <laughs> I recommend Strong Bull. Well, it beats an internment camp. hey Yeah, and then it's like, <laughs> oh, shit. Ingrid, you shouldn't have married this dumb fisherman. At least at the internment camp, yeah, I had a Yeah, you're famously hot, who... Ingrid. Get, step it up a notch. <laughs> she looks right at the camera. Don't ca- marry Mario Batali and move to an island. <laughs> she looks right at the camera in the movie and goes, at least in the internment camp, I had a friend who got what I was talking about. <laughs> 7.2 and on IMDb. But I recommend uh, it for laughs. It, it sounds like a laugh riot. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> Oops, I, prefer, I made a mistake. Those are my favorite premises. I prefer movies about nice things. <laughs> James. <laughs> James biopics. <laughs> James, who would play you in the biopic if you could ooh, choose? Ooh, ooh, ooh. Joaquin Phoenix. <laughs> Joaquin would be good. Um, you know, Mark Duplass, like I've said. <laughs> I get that. Michael Michael Caine, even though he said he's retired, Michael but I think he Caine. could be lured out of retirement to play a final role. James, wow. can you do Michael Caine Michael doing Caine an impression of you? Yeah, 92-year-old Michael Caine. Because you can do a Michael Caine impression. Can you do Michael Caine doing you? Oh. Do you have that gluten-free? <laughs> do you have that gluten-free? Really, really good. good. Really good. Thank you. And you do ask twice Ebony, like that every time we go to a bakery. What do we do when we fall off the horse? <laughs> <laughs> back on? I can't do it at all. Uh, but yours was really, really good. Oh, thanks. <sighs> Nicest guy. Best Michael Caine impression. Oh, since, uh, I married him. Rob Brydon. <laughs> Speaking of uh, famous British performers, um, every time I go to London, I ask Suze Kempner, famous friend of the show and comedian and actress, if this will be the trip that she brings me to see the grave of Benny Hill, who is only an hour, his grave is only an hour away from where she lives. That's so far and to see Benny Hill's grave. I, I, yeah. really, I really want to see Hill's grave. You know what's funny, Mike? I actually I drive an hour to get a good Subway sandwich. <laughs> I, I read recently randomly that Stonehenge is an hour from London. So it's seen funny it. that you've <laughs> seen it, not interested. There's a flip of the coin. Uh, I heard have you ever seen the sun, sunrise over Benny yeah. Hill's grave at the yeah. solstice? Is There's amazing. always druids but You know there. what else is beautiful um, at Benny Hill's grave? There's still, above his grave, there's still about three or four <laughs> scantily clad women running around in a circle. <laughs> And the real fun is when you go to Stonehenge and there's a couple of topless girls dressed as bobbies and they're running around wondering where Benny Hill's grave is. Bashing into the big obelisk. But I even looked up if there are any motels or hotels near the grave so we can make a whole weekend of it. Because I was reading about Benny Hill because I was excited about maybe seeing his grave. He died in like a kind of shitty apartment even though he was like a multi-millionaire and he had a phobia about money and so they found him alone in his apartment with like a stack of uncashed checks that were worth like millions of pounds or dollars or whatever and he was like a weirdo who couldn't like deal with his own fi- like he was rich but he just wouldn't like engage. so was it a modest apartment it was kind of like not very nice and he just didn't cash his checks and he just like sat and just watched TV all the time by himself and like had were no- his curtains garbage bags <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> he lived in a dumpster. <laughs> no, but he had like a really sad ending where was he was his like roof a tarp. Yeah. And he just didn't he didn't live in the he didn't live the nice life that uh, we all would have wished for. He had him. a sad ending because of his making. Benny Hill 
and Michael Caine yes. both act in the original The Italian Job. Italian Job. And I have another connector, other <laughs> famous comedian from across the pond in America, W.C. Fields, also had this weird uh, er, like phobia uh, started from his early, which begun in his early vaudeville days. So he, he had a million bank accounts and he'd also take money <laughs> he was paid and bury it places. <laughs> So by the time he died, there was like paper money. Yeah, there was tons of bank accounts. Get my shovels and see? money buried that nobody ever knew. That's fine. That Charlie Chaplin never did this. See, keeps all my all his money above ground. <laughs> Listeners, if you don't have any other famous funny men who were fucking weird about money, <laughs> let us know. Well, Mike, he's about to leave a poker game. He's like, no, wait, don't count me out. Let me just go outside and find um, that tulip. <laughs> I just need to find a tulip outside. Mike, just jumping in here That's with not how WC Field sounded at all. Just jumping in here with some quick Benny Hill research. Oh, thank you. Uh, apparently, Johnny Carson and Ed McMahon were both big fans of Benny Hill, and they tried to get him to yeah. travel to LA and be a guest on the Tonight Show, but I guess he never did. Really, he was insanely shy to be himself, so he only appeared as like characters. And get anyway. this, Mike. Guess who was a <laughs> guess? Welcome to the Napoleon Benny Hill episode. <laughs> <laughs> so their cultural impact is equal. <laughs> There's no doubt that there was a sketch where Benny Hill was Napoleon. Oh, for sure. <laughs> uh, guess who was a huge Benny Hill fan without I've a joke? I've seen the picture. Benny Hill and Michael Jackson together. Correct, and, Michael. And he's doing the finger guns at Michael Jackson going like, Look who I'm with. Michael and Jackson wild. said, quote, yeah. I just love your Benny Hill to a, a bemused British music press during the 1970s. He's so funny, he said. <laughs> so uh, Michael Jackson loved Benny Hill. And Michael, as you said, yes, he was super frugal, never owned a home in London and rented yeah. an apartment. Yeah. And he, despite being a millionaire, just had incredibly frugal habits and bought cheap food and walked for miles rather than paying a fucking taxi. So that Jesus well, Christ, his, Benny I Hill. I bet his grave in our ways a real showstopper. Like, <laughs> 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 he's like a lot of cash into that. <laughs> I, I declare I will see Benny Hill's grave before 2024 is out. It's a headstone Suze, that says I hope his name. I hope Suze is listening. You're on the clock. Suze, yeah. you have until December 31st of 2024 to show me Benny Hill's fucking grave. Uh, I want to see his grave. I want to look at the picture of Michael Jackson, Benny Hill, and say, whoa, two <laughs> fucked up guys who have weird sex problems. I, if you go, I want to know because I will spend the money to hire a bagpipe player to stand beside you and somberly play the Benny Hill theme while you're looking sax? at the Yeah, to play Yakety Sax. Holy crap. That's beautiful. <laughs> I will, Suze, get in, slide into my DMs, girl. We'll make it happen. This is a challenge. Suze. Take Mike to Benny Hill's grave. <laughs> and if we, I die there, I don't care. Because a lot of times ultimatums in relationships yeah. are, hey, I want to get married. I want to have children. I want to ah. get a, you know, you to do X, ah. X, Y, Z. That's old school crap. For Mike, it's Suze. You have to take yeah. me to Benny Hill's grave or we're in deep trouble. Yeah, yeah. It's a classic uh, relationship problem. And, and a classic thing that it takes two. <laughs> Sometimes they're alone at Couldn't night. Could possibly arrange that on your own time, mate. What if I took a secret trip? Uh, yeah, Needs but... a local to get you there. What if I took a secret trip to the UK, snuck in, saw Benny Hill's grave, out of there within 24 hours? And didn't see Suze. Yes. I might have to do it. 
Wow. If we if we just could like double our Patreon. I parachute in. <laughs> I would I would support us spending the Patreon money on this if if it was yeah. just a bit more. There's a bogey of yeah. a British well, airspace. <laughs> we should spend the money yes, on we it. We parachuted we down <laughs> to Benny Hill's grave. <laughs> you need to drive a little Austin Mini over his grave. Yeah. <laughs> my my dream is for oh. us to record an episode over like on Benny Hill's grave. <laughs> I would go for that. Yeah. So late at night, sometimes do you say you want to go see Benny Hill's grave, Suze? And I mean, then I she says, get... "I'm. I don't think I'm ready for that yet, Michael." I don't want to get too, you know, bedroom talk is personal, but yeah. I do often lapse into that in the heat of passion. <laughs> when when yeah. nude? Yeah. 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 Cool. yeah, yeah. Show me Benny Hill's grave. <laughs> <laughs> say you'll show me Benny Hill's grave. <laughs> Right before he fills the whoopee cushion. <laughs> oh, call back to last episode. Hey-oh. Because this is a totally different day. Yes, we haven't still been in our apartment. <laughs> wow. We're rocked off of flock chicken tenders, dude. I hope this happens, Mike. Like, this is such a great journey for you. I really hope you get to, Thanks. to the see The stakes couldn't be lower. Uh- <laughs> beep, beep. <laughs> Hey, everybody, we're just reminding you that we have a Patreon account. Please go to patreon.com slash evilmen. You can sign up and you get two bonus episodes a month. You get to go on our Discord. You get early access for, to video stuff. We really make an effort to make it worth worth your while. So please check it out if you like the podcast. If you're already on the Patreon, thank you so much. We appreciate all you guys so much. Everybody on the Discord, I'm scrolling here. Shout out Lisa... John Kane, Rochester, Sammy, you know, internet user, all those people. Thanks so much. Burrito Slam. We got some great names. We have a new patron named (laughs) Fuck that I saw uh, signed up. Do we? Traditional spelling? Yeah. (laughs) Traditional (laughs) Anglo-Saxon spelling. Well, I know famously we had a Patreon user named Turd for a while. Well, there's a Turd, there's a Fuck, there's a God Knows, there's everything now. And Burrito Slam. (laughs) We have a Turd and a Fuck. For a limited time, too, uh, Evil Men Patreon also comes with a two-liter bottle of soda pop <laughs> and a Sarah Lee cake. Shout out to uh, Internet User. The, the guy's name on our Discord is Internet User, and he put out a weird way, cool or whatever, mentioning that uh, he's also been watching 9-11 replays recently, like I mentioned I have. Oh, so that's cool. That's kind of nice. cool. Yeah. Are you watching it with your new like uh, UFO slant? Is there any connection in any way now? Or? Wow, that's a good idea to connect UFOs to 9-11. <laughs> it was actually UFOs. It wasn't the planes. <laughs> wow, it was planes that looked... Does like that mean Saudi Arabia is actually Mars? <laughs> that's a good idea. Oh, no! <laughs> um, Check it out. Patreon.com slash evil men. Beep, beep. <laughs> Beep, beep. <laughs> so here we are. Last episode, we covered um, Napoleon's life up to becoming the emperor of France. Ebony, your insight was incredible. Thank you. Amazingly done. His triumphant failure and return from Egypt. And yeah. everyone's scared of him. Everyone, Well, yeah, all the politicians are scared of him. And I didn't mean to say Egypt was like a total fit, but it was not the resounding success that he came back. So, But he's made himself into like a myth. People think he's unkillable. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the government's in turmoil. So he kind of introduces this triumvirate idea uh, where it'll be him and two other guys. But this gets old and there's some um, 
assassination attempts on his life. So he kind of spins this in this way to be like, well, maybe I shouldn't just be the emperor and then that way my kids, uh, you know, they'll protect the line. And this country, and this is where it's like, this is his, I like to say his Kaiser Soze moment. Because it's like, this is a country where this revolution's happened, they've more bloodily than anyone, like, fucking guillotined anyone that would make a claim to absolute power, anything like a monarchy. And he's like, yeah, 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 totally, I'm one of you, I'm your little corporal. Anyway, I'm gonna be become the most powerful man in the history of possibly the world. Briefly, Napoleon is the most powerful man possibly ever in history. Uh, and certainly in Europe at this time. Uh, and they're all like, yeah, but his his like trick is to be like, but it's not God who wanted this. It's you guys. And they're like, I guess it is. <laughs> like then, a Jerry Springer yeah. final thought. But he's already starting to go, like now we're starting to get into like why we also remember Napoleon for the complex that men have who are like him and all this stuff. Because mm. even the Pope comes to his coronation to be emperor. And right as the Pope is going to put the crown on his head, he's like, I'll take that. And he insists on putting the crown on his own head because he says in front of everyone, no one is fit to crown him emperor but himself. He's uh, the Pope. The Pope. He, the, he did. He fully posterized the Pope in front of him. Um, and this is kind of the beginning of like phase two. Is this called megalomania? Yes. Hmm. I think I would say I would. You got to assume there's some of that yes. going on here. Yeah. Um. So yeah, Napoleon's the emperor. Um, and there's peace in Europe for the first time in a while. He kind of has a resounding um, victory against Austria. And so Europe's in a temporary peace uh, here in 1802. The Revolutionary Wars are, are on a pause. And with Europe at peace and the economy recovering, Napoleon's popularity is like, yeah, higher than ever. Um, I, you might have mentioned this last time, Ebony. Um, during this sort of period of peace, uh, Napoleon did some work at home, uh, rebuilding the French military. He designed the Napoleonic Code which was a legal system that combined um, elements of liberal revolutionary doctrine with um, the ancient regime stuff. Um, this system would be exported uh, around Europe and rewrote the p- priorities of middle-class Europe for the following century. Like he created the modern world. Well, this right? is like, what's so crazy. Like the enlightenment ideas were applied to the governance of France, right? And Europe, like... And no, like, and and like, you know, France had its revolution, but this was going on everywhere. The people were like, "Well, we don't want the monarchy anymore, but we don't want like a totally new thing. Like, no one can make sense of it." And he's like, "I have an idea, but first you have to make me an unquestioned dictator who can never be overthrown." And they're all like, "Okay." Right. And then he does, and then he follows through, and he arguably is the only benevolent dictator in history in ways because he like he he manages to like yeah consolidate the ideas of the ancien regime and the jacobins and kind of create like a system that works he expands the boulevards in france and makes them functional like he makes the champs elysees he makes the arc de triomphe he makes he built hospitals he finally puts the calendar back because ever since robespierre they've been like it's thursday Thermidor. Thermidor. Like, it's, like literally that when he shot all these people in the face, it's like, remembered it's like the 30th, 13th day of the week that he did it. It's like a Vondrium 13. Like the, so he gets everything back to normal in this way and he manages to not make God as big a part of it, which would also kind of modernize it. Cause so like, yeah, he essentially creates modern politics in the modern world 
and the people and he also manages to finally abolish the aristocracy which no one was quite able to do because he invents the meritocracy where he's like yeah you can still become a nobleman but it's because you're like good at shit and so then we give you a title for that instead of because you're someone's son even as he's saying but all my brothers are now going to be kings of Europe (laughs) only my family will sit on the thrones and my line can never be overthrown but for everyone else he invents the meritocracy and these double standards keep going he um, he makes it a law that women over 40 can't you can't divorce a woman over 40 so like very much like modern Hollywood you can't you can't get green at the curb when she gets old he does though divorce Josephine after 40 and all in the same breath makes a law that men are allowed to murder their wives legally for infidelity so he's losing it a bit but it's all kind of what an oddly sort of progressive law you can't divorce a 40 year old woman yeah that's so strange but if she's under 40 you can or murder her you can murder her if if she cheats on you so you can't you can't get rid of her because she's old but if she looks at another man you can kill her in public okay boy which again his incel energy Quebec Quebec and um, uh, New Orleans is in Louisiana. Louisiana still operate under the Napoleonic Code, right? Uh, maybe because my like my parents were from Quebec, and my mom, <laughs> when women married or still marry in Quebec, they legally never lose their maiden name. It's just uh, uh, that's part of the Napoleonic Code. Wow. The taking of a man's name is like just like a formality kind of thing, or like a. That's interesting. Yeah. He did Crazy. a lot of progressive things. And then have scientists studied his brain? I think psychologists have. You seen it? have. It's as big as Rasputin's penis. <laughs> but only from <laughs> and they drowned it. Yeah. And, and it's the same fire. shape. Yeah. It's, it's shaped like an eggplant. There's a picture of a yeah. girl online looking at it going, whoa. <laughs> um, so, so uh, Evan, you, you brought up that it's sort of insanely hypocritical. They overthrew an absolute ruler to have Napoleon become an absolute ruler. Um, While convincing everyone they voted for that. It's wild. Yeah. um, Someone named Madame de Remusat said, men were worn out by the turmoil of the revolution. They looked for the domination of an able ruler. People believed quite sincerely, sincerely that Bonaparte, whether as consul or emperor, would exert his authority and save them from the perils of anarchy. So, Why am I picturing Bane... In the Dark Knight Returns now. <laughs> well, that was that was, was the one of the Scarecrow he does, <laughs> his right hand man. <laughs> when he took the crown from Pope Pius to put it on his head, he went, "I am Bane." As he put it on, <laughs> I knew it. Yeah, I knew it. Well, who's Batman then? Hmm. Wellington. <laughs> oh my gee. <laughs> um, so Napoleon uh, faced several assassination plots from royalists and Jacobins. Um, one was sponsored by the Bourbon family, who I guess had been the royal family of France. Yeah. And, and they'll come and, back for a bit. And um, so Napoleon, you know, quashed that and he had, he ordered the kidnapping and murder and execution of a duke, even though that duke had nothing to do with it, um, in retaliation for this. Did the duke say, what the hell, man? I think so. Okay. <laughs> Don't tase me, bro, said the <laughs> <Yeah>. duke. <laughs> and uh, so ex- executing this duke really pissed off royals all over Europe and became a contributing factor in the outbreak of yet further wars happening. And that's why the Genesis album Duke is named after that guy. Really? (laughs) (laughs) I mean... um, I know you're a huge Genesis fan. I thought you would know. I do like Genesis. Anyone else? 
Much more of a yakety sax guy. (laughs) (laughs) What's the one that goes, these are the... What hands we're giving? Or it's like, oh, that's like Land of Confusion. Land Phil of Collins. Confusion. That one's great. That song image rocks. Video. <laughs> yeah, sing it. These are, this, this is, is the, world. the world we live in. Oh, oh and yeah, these oh, are yeah. the hands we're oh, yeah. giving. Oh, yeah. it, was, it was one of Phil Collins' most political songs. But how does the <laughs> verse go? Um, hey Superman, where are you now? Then everything is wrong somehow. And everything is done in the light. You're moving into the light. There's too many songs. Too many people and too many problems. And not much love to go around. Can't you see this is a land of confusion? May I say? You nailed it. That's the part I was looking for. I love that bridge. A, that a break, young, whatever that is, young Phil Collins would have been perfect to cast as Napoleon. Mike, I agree. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I triple down on that. Yeah, I agree. He was great in Buster. Yeah. <laughs> so He's got a lot of charisma. Google Buster. Back to Napoleon. Evany, jump Giggling. in at any point. Uh, so it's 1803 now. And Great Britain breaks the peace and they declare war on France. When you said it's 1803 now, I, I saw a really beautiful French countryside morning with the sun coming up and a rooster crowing. and That Rite of Spring song playing? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thanks for that. No problem, yeah. And Britain takes a big shit on it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Britain teamed up with Russia and Austria. Oh, shit. Austria had recently shit. been defeated by France twice so they really wanted yeah. revenge Damn. on france and by napoleon personally that first yes. time he crossed the alps was to t- and he, they were so scared of him by the time they got there that vienna was just like you can have it um i'm really <laughs> so they're shitty mad. at history uh, if austria is austria at this point where what's prussia prussia was a country until napoleon yeah. got through with it and yeah. then by the time napoleon got through with it it basically wasn't a country anymore. okay oh. thank you i thought it was World War One that ruined Prussia, but there was a bit left after Napoleon was done, but yeah. very and then World War One sealed the deal. But like nice. Austria, Poland, even uh, and Prussia were all like power players until by and by the end of Napoleon's reign, they were like Austria was landlocked by then. Like everything he Sick. he really I came for that. those the big three, as we say. How do you pronounce <laughs> this? Is awesome. How do you pronounce How do you pronounce P W N Pwn? Yeah, Napoleon pwned. is pwning he's all pwning, of Europe. He's pwning Europe <laughs> hard. Um, so, right. These three countries, they call it the Third Coalition. Uh, they're the like, coalition. let's go back. Let's get France. We fucking hate Napoleon. This, fuck that guy. But Napoleon was really building up a massive army. He called La Grande Armée. I mean, not the most creative name. <laughs> But this was 350,000 men. They were Sounds w- like a drink at Starbucks. <laughs> <laughs> they were well equipped. equipped How many? 350,000. God damn. Like what a Guelph. bunch of suckers. They were well Imagine e- Guelph all started coming for you. <laughs> they were well Imagine e- Guelph marched on Vienna. Where's the Timmy's? Um, <laughs> they were well equipped. They were well trained, and they were competent. Uh, these these soldiers. So the war starts, and it gets a little hairy at Fran- for France at first. England's getting some victories, but um, 
Napoleon did this like brilliant move against the Austrian army um, where he circled them without them realizing. I'm sure it's far more complicated and impressive than than I you know am, am explaining, but uh, this was regarded as a strategic masterpiece, masterpiece and was influential in the development of the Schlieffen Plan in the 19th century. The, the very basic thing that he did there, if it's interesting to anyone, it may not be, but uh, he had like two flanks and he basically, like in quite a theatrical way, which he was known for, pretended that one flank of his army was like doing really bad and were basically depleted, but he just had a bunch of guys hiding in the woods. So the Austrian troops took their guys away from there to fight the other flank and it was a total lie and then they just came rushing out of the woods. And oh, this was in through. Austerlitz. Oh, this That's was Austerlitz, but very, very close. Was that yeah. not in Austerlitz? Was that a different one? That was a different one, but then sort of a, the next thing I was going to talk Sorry. about was... No, no. You're dead right, though. In in Austerlitz, he did this other brilliant oh, I move. We were talking that was about that was exactly what you just described, Evany. Yes. So we're, this is the circle one. There was a circle one, and then there was one in Austerlitz where he pretended a flank of his army was depleted. So he used okay. like he used like psychology, uh, yeah. like against armies in a way that like they were just used to in warfare before that. Two armies would march towards Honest each other warfare. and yeah. just go like running at each other, and whoever yeah. won would be the victor. But I think yeah. some medieval armies still had the like surprise flank around the corner trick at that point, at least, didn't they? Or did Napoleon start all that? He didn't. I think they're like. I think that he. I, it's hard to like. This is where like my knowledge of Napoleon gets less good. But I feel like he modernized warfare and the rules of engagement like well past what they were. Now, let me ask you this. Speaking of uh, so psychological warfare, the diminished flank that the Austrians think that they are conquering, is he really sacrificing those guys? No. Or are they pretending, are they lying on the ground going, oh, oh. <laughs> My stomach. We ate too much <laughs> sausage. <laughs> he gave us too much chicken at the fire. <laughs> <laughs> See what I'm saying though? Like, No, I think. Like I, even to make his plan work, did he sacrifice those? I believe it was all fake. And then the other army goes, hey, they're weak on that side. And then they go after that How side. How do they fake being weak without being actually... Didn't uh, just make the I other army like withdraw? Defeated. Like, a, like yeah. they were running. Like they were scattering and oh, running. Oh, cool. But probably it wouldn't be past him to, to sacrifice some guys as part of that plan. It's not past any army. Yeah, but it's definitely <laughs> They not past always him. have a bunch of ding-dongs that they put in the front and go, go out there and act defeated. <laughs> <laughs> But he's also like really good at giving speeches and it's where he gets his little corporal thing. So like part of the reason he'll maintain power, but he, he, he was very careful because always the fear in the French Revolution was like, don't be Caesar, don't be like Caesar. And Caesar is like secretly like the poster he has on his ceiling as a boy. Like he's <laughs> obsessed with Caesar. But when he would come home, he wouldn't wear his military uniform. He'd be like, I'm a cool sal- salon guy. And he would kind of conceal that part of himself so they loved him at home because he didn't seem like an army guy and then they, they his, his soldiers loved him so he could probably have convinced them to essentially sacrifice themselves if he wanted to yeah. uh, because he was like real good at making a speech and this Austerlitz tactic he used with the faking that part of his flank was weak um, was considered like really dangerous move and he executed it perfectly it was a total disaster for the allies in austria and this attack caused austria to drop out of the war and austria had to give all this land to france after like he totally fucked like 
ruin them. God, how embarrassing. And this was considered to be Napoleon's sort of greatest military victory, probably. France lost 7,000 men. Austria lost 25,000. And it basically reduced Austria to a second-tier state. Um, after this, like this was such an incredible military victory, um, Frank McClinn, a writer, suggested that um, at this point, maybe Napoleon started to lose touch with reality and um, you know, started to think of himself, I guess, as like, I- I'm really a genius. I'm like incredible. I feel like it's where he goes a bit Kanye because like Kanye was so brilliant at making <laughs> himself what he was and he was like, he kind of had this cult leader status and he was really good at it and then at some point he started believing the like lies he was making up about himself and then started saying a lot of weird shit about Jews. And that's kind of <laughs> where Napoleon's at in this moment in his career. Like he's, he's kind of believing the mythos he's made up about himself. And he can't separate the reality, I feel like. Yeah. So he feels he starts like wearing a balaclava and going on the Alex Jones show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he cannot get off Alex Jones' podcast. <laughs> He's doing some weird fashion collabs. Jim Appel, Alex Jones. Uh, also, do we, uh, let we me got... ask you this, because you, this has always been interesting to me. What do you guys think about this? Because you said that he starts believing his own bullshit, which happens to... But maybe that is a natural progression for most megalomaniacal, bizarre genius men who push themselves to the brink. They just break. It's not that they convince themselves, it's just they break. Do you see what I'm saying? Well, and I think like the only way you can have enough confidence to make up this mythos about yourself is to believe it already to begin with at some level. And then it comes true and you are the most after Austerlitz he is as yeah. like he is the most powerful man in the world at that time possibly ever in history there- possibly no one has had more control of more of the world ever than he did at that moment there's so of course he's going to be like I am a god there's a <laughs> step in every progression of a mad genius's makings where they get out of their own grasp Yes, and that's his moment, I think. I would I love it. I find if that I, so fascinating. Me I would too. I would love it if our podcast gets so popular that, that we all we all three of us get to go insane. Yeah, we lose touch with I would love You gotta that. watch it. You guys know. Take, after you get on stage pressure. and someone says, Wow, that was so funny, you almost feel like a fucking god. It's true. And you, it's you true. feel like I could kill someone? I could Yeah. I feel like I've killed well, twenty five thousand Austrians after <laughs> I have a good set. <laughs> Yeah, there Mike, we go. Mike, Mike, Mike has a good stand-up set, and someone compliments him, and Mike goes, "My goodness, I feel like I could kill twenty-five thousand Austrians." Uh, you know what's missing in Toronto? A huge portion of Austria. <laughs> um, okay, so Napoleon's flying high. Um, he establishes a confederation of German states, kind of as a buffer between France and Eastern Europe. Which which basically ends the Holy Roman Empire, Prussia. Previous Ca- casual pre- brag on Napoleon's part. Yeah. And, and ends the Holy Roman Empire. That, no problem. Which had existed for several thousand years. Yeah, I think it was a pretty big deal. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Prussia mentioned before they were on the eastern end of that, and they're like, "Oh shit, we're going to be next." So Prussia <laughs> declares war on France. Unfortunately for Prussia, their king was not a good commander, and going up against Napoleon, good luck. Napoleon wiped the floor with Prussia. Prussia's morale was shattered. He basically wipes Prussia from the map. Um, Next military thing. It's 1807. 
Napoleon's in a long battle with Russia, and he fucking beats up Russia. He Uh-oh. wipes out the majority of the Russian army in a very bloody struggle. Um, the scale of the defeat was so bad for Russia, they make peace with France. So Nathan, Napoleon's, I said Nathan, Napoleon's just destroying everyone in his path. Weird Freudian slip, James. You're comparing someone <laughs> named Nathan to a world conqueror named Napoleon? <laughs> so this is when Napoleon gets the curse <laughs> and uh, comedy on horseback. <laughs> um, is this the time of Catherine the Great then? It's Tsar. It's Tsar. She was like the seventh. Alexander, right? Yes, Tsar Alexander. Oh. Yeah, she was earlier. I think so. But she was French, right? She spoke French in the court in Russia, though. Yeah. So at this point, Europe is mostly in the hands of France and Russia. And Napoleon and the Tsar Alexander, despite that battle, they kind of respect each other. And the Tsar Alexander's like, Napoleon, you're cool. They, but they have this weird week where they like hang out. Like Napoleon goes there for like a week. It's very, I know we can't say it, Cheech and Chong. Um, like, <laughs> they like get super high. Yeah, they're they're like partying and getting drunk for a week and like eating caviar and being like, "You're a cool, you're a cool dictator." And he's like, "You're a cool dictator." It'd be like and if they we, have like a weird friendship. It'd be nice. like if we met up with Hollywood Handbook and we're just like, yeah. "You guys are cool." They're like, "You guys are cool." And then you rewrote right. the map of Europe. <laughs> <laughs> um, so at this point, Napoleon's only real only real enemies left are Britain and Spain. Napoleon invades Portugal because they're still trading with England, and he's trying to get all of Europe to stop trading with England. Um, Napoleon makes his brother the king of Spain. This pisses off the Spanish. And now he eats humble pie. <laughs> Is that a little joke? Right. Yeah. Moxie uh, Moxie oh, yeah. Fruvis, are they still all jamming together? <laughs> <laughs> I heard late singers making a comeback. <laughs> nice. So he, yeah, he took over Spain and Portugal, and Britain was always afraid that he was going to, like, France was going to invade Britain, and there was, like, a real fear, but he never did, like, he was good as a, a land army, but never as a naval power. Yes, like, France could never do it. Part of the reason he had trouble in Egypt, too. He real bad, for a guy that spent so much time on islands, bad at boats. <laughs> yes, I, I want to find it, um, but there was a specific naval battle that essentially cemented England as the naval superiority, you know, military, dominant military force. Was it the Trafalgar? Yeah, yeah I think that's right. And that's when Napoleon tried to cross the channel, right? And Nelson was like, I don't think And so. after that point, no, Napoleon's... No, no, no. He was playing that on a bugle. After that point, Napoleon's kind of like, okay, I kind of give up on the ocean. Um, That movie, Master and Commander, that was set during this time, was it not? Mike, you haven't seen that oh, movie? Oh, that movie's amazing. That's a yeah, Mike that movie, movie to is the max. Is that Russell Crowe? I yeah. do know they're like, yeah, they're chasing it's, a it's French a, ship the whole time. Yeah, but it's I a can't great, fuck. It's a great movie. Right. It's a British ship and a French ship and they're kind of playing cat and mouse with each other and it's like this shitty, their shitty life in the also, boat. Also, Mr. Film Buff, it's Peter Weir. I don't know if I've seen anything by him. Picnic at Hanging Rock? no. <laughs> well, I'm just throwing it out there, Mike. You might want to put it on your Christmas holiday movie watch list. I'll watch it on Christmas Day at 5 p.m. I could be wrong, but <laughs> I, I, I honestly really text think... text us every minute, at once a minute while you're watching it. Evan, you back me up on this. That's a Mike movie, no? 
I think that's a Mike movie. I could be wrong. I could be wrong. If I'm wrong, right. may God have mercy kind on my soul. Kind of densely historical and without a plot. I think you'd love it. <laughs> I like it. But I like it. I, I like would, it too. I would counter that it's a lot of men being pretty manly. I yeah. can't see Mike. Oh, that's that not my thing. <laughs> I don't think so. It's a, there's a lot of vibrant masculinity in it. Yeah. Yeah, they bake and have fun and. Yeah, yeah, they they're well round. It's about a bunch of well rounded men on a ship. <laughs> <laughs> they all get drunk a lot on the boat. I did notice. Which yeah. hey, why not? Oh. Anyways, There's okay, a lot of brave boys. So um, Paul Bettany. Um. Uh, excuse me. Yes, yeah, so Napoleon invaded Portugal. He makes his brother the king of Spain. It pisses. He has some of those little tarts that are so delicious. Yes, the custard tarts were <laughs> yeah. flowing. Yeah. Uh, the Spanish are pissed off. Like, why is Napoleon's brother our king? So the Spanish <laughs> are fighting the French, and Napoleon actually lost this sort of battle and had to recede back. Um, the impact of the Napoleonic invasion of Spain and ousting uh, their monarchy in favor of his brother had a huge impact on the Spanish Empire. Um, the outbreak of the Spanish-American Wars of Independence in most of the empire was a result of Napoleon's destabilizing actions in Spain and led to the rise of strongmen in the wake of these wars. Hmm. Just and a the little... famous, like, uh, I think it's called Guernica, not the Picasso one, but the Goya painting. That's Napoleon. Oh, the, like, what, the... Um the horrors of war yeah. like all that that's all Napoleon. Wow. really and those yeah. are like those are terrifying yeah yeah because this is like... again where you know back to the evil man theme like yeah. when he goes like his armies loved him there was no general who was more willing to be of the people but when he goes to war oh man does he leave a trail like it's merciless oh, he's man. really a bit crazy out there if i remember that painting well those men didn't want to be shot <laughs> yeah <laughs> they actually wow. don't that's if I remember chilling. well, they're all kind of sucking down the barrels of the gun, begging <laughs> for it with their Putting eyes. Putting mustard on <laughs> it. Or are you talking about is that the painting of the guy who's like at, uh, yeah. up against the wall, about to be shot? Yeah. Right, right, right. I see. So, aren't they pointing at the guns? And there's a speech bubble that says, "Is this an empanada?" <laughs> <laughs> so, guess who's back? Back again. What? Tell your friends. Austria decides. <laughs> why don't I come back again and fight France a fucking again? Austria. All right, it's up they're, to you. They remind me of Rocky uh, at the end of the movies where Rocky looks like he's beat down and he's not going to make it. Or King Koopa from Mario. You Absolutely. keep getting beat. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Austria, they're like, we'll, we'll take on uh, France again. It culminates in the largest battle of Napoleon's career to this point. And guess what? He absolutely defeated Austria yet again. Damn. And Napoleon makes them sign a really harsh treaty. France takes a ton of land from Austria. And as a result, Austria loses a fifth of its population. Do they still have that land? Like, is France still expanded as much as Napoleon has no. taken? No. Way, okay. way pulled back to like what it was basically before, I think. Yeah, the world wars are going to kind of... And, like, and what <laughs> yeah. happens in the latter half of the 19th century are going to kind of rewrite the map. Yeah. But there is a period where... Yeah, like no one. It, he but he's it, completely rewritten the map of Europe. If you looked at a map of Europe, you know now versus at the hi height of Napoleon's, you know expansion, it's shocking. He had like a huge. Yeah, I'm gonna say like something like crazy. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> Napoleon is awesome. This is yes. what I'm saying. He's kind of awesome. Chris, let me tell you something. We haven't yeah. even hit the most awesome part. This is fucking awesome. Like he's it's. It, He's wild, and you and, and Wait you get Napoleon. To the, yeah. How about this? Napoleon is a thrill ride. He's a thrill Wait ride. Wait till you get to the fucking climax, too. 
<laughs> I so, can never wait to get to the climax. One thing I read said that Napoleon won 38 out of 43 battles between 1796 and 1815. As Ebony said, he revolutionized modern warfare in the process. Um, he perfected like major military innovations that changed how modern military units function. He created the core system, you know, like C-O-R-P-S, a bunch of other stuff, and he was just like a micromanager with impossibly good battlefield judgment. He also, and also at home. Like, also, like, as a politician at home is also, like we said, just rewriting policy, rewriting strategy. So he's doing both, right. which is also crazy. He's like Julius Caesar done right. That And that was his goal. That's literally who he wanted to be, but better. Yeah. Yeah, no one's like uh, stabbing him. I mean, it's not going to end <laughs> great for him, but <laughs> the thrill ride ends eventually. But it's not his own people, you know what I mean? And he was also, during this time, having, like, he had, like, mistresses in every area of oh, yeah. Europe that he had conquered. In every area code. Hose, yeah. Hose in all the area codes. He had, that he was determining what those area codes were. He was. <laughs> he was. Did they have... Um, he standardized all of the mistresses in Europe. <laughs> Did their punani stank? <laughs> Call back to episode Wong one. Punani, <laughs> That's a real song. That's a real dance was a, song. That was a poem written by Napoleon. Yeah. yeah. Me punani. All right. <coughs> I want punani. <laughs> je veux le punani. Est-ce que je peux aller à la punani? He also... During this time, he also... May I go to the... Madame, s'il vous plaît? Sorry, what were you going to say? It's not as funny, but I was going to say that uh, after Egypt, like the sheik of Cairo or something, some sheik gave him a slave that stayed as his manservant until his first exile, and he was just a guy who just then was like Napoleon's like bodyguard, best friend, confidant, uh, food taster, food preparer, who like slept by him as his bodyguard in whatever tent he was in or whatever. Wow, that's awesome! I need one of those. And it was just, so this guy with a turban you can a see in paintings. Yeah. Whoa. A guy who just does everything I ask, please. A butler. Um, but you can a see butler. Him, yeah. Who doesn't fucking talk. A butler is what you mean. To. Yes. Um, um, but sorry, he was with him for his whole life. Uh, until his first exile. And then the guy was like, ooh, out of here. Huh, interesting. Well, I'll j- I'm just going to go be a slave over yeah. here. But then when the slave <laughs> left him, a Frenchman became his bodyguard, best friend, confidant guy, and he just took the Egyptian robes and turban that the old guy wore and also wore them, even though he was a French guy. Oh, God. It's like when Darcy <laughs> left the Smashing Pumpkins and then they got another girl bassist that yes. looks like her. To dress like her. That yeah, made yeah. me feel so uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> Just a quick quick mention here in his personal life. He, uh, I think you mentioned, Ebony, he divorced Josephine because she didn't give him an heir. Or maybe we didn't mention that. Uh, so in, after he divorced her, he... Uh, Despite the law he made that you can't divorce women over 40. Right. He wanted to cement now an alliance with Austria to sort of stop dealing with them, constantly attacking him and failing. So he married an 18-year-old archduchess 
daughter of uh, Emperor Francis II, and he married her and gave birth to a baby boy who Napoleon made uh, his heir apparent and called him the King of Rome. And I just have to interject here to really get into like the full hypocrisy levels of like megalomania he's in. So he makes this law, you can't divorce a woman over 40, but he's like, I'm the emperor, I have to. And then, so he does. <laughs> and then his whole thing and the aristocracy, they were fighting and everything that the revolution is about is about is against these like marriages of, of conquest and policymaking. And he not only makes a marriage like that to marry this girl, the girl he marries is the great grand or the grandniece of Mary Antoinette, the woman, and he's so he's married back into the Bourbon monarchical line and married the grandniece of the woman who they beheaded as part of the revolution, where he was like, "Yeah, vive this, I'm all in," uh, and he's still getting away with this. So full, like, just he's fully become what he fought against with no sense of irony about it, and everyone's like, "I guess." Ebony, to quote a great man, "The heart wants." What it wants. <laughs> and it's Punani. Oh, <laughs> it's young, stanky, bourbon Punani. May I ask you one question? Yeah. <laughs> Just one. You sound like a TikTok video. Teacher, may I ask you one question? <laughs> Surely there must have been some sort of remnants of gentlemen back in France like murmuring to each other down by La Sienne. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean he he I'm sure had detractors the whole time down by La Sienne. <laughs> Is that what it's called, Le Mer? How do you say the river there in Paris? Oh, oh, the, oh Seine. the Seine. Seine. Yeah. Sorry. I no, no, I didn't mean to correct you. I just thought, what is the Seine? And where <laughs> can we chat like privately it, there? Well, <laughs> there had been multiple assassination attempts, right? Like, yeah, yes. that's His, part of the reason he convinced everyone that him being emperor. Who were was these guys? Do. I think it was royalists, people who wanted the monarchy yeah. back, and Jacobins. But he was bringing the monarchy back in a weird way. But yeah. kind of not, like, yeah. he kind of went up the middle. But yeah, An anarchy version of the monarchy. And then I also, I think, like, there were people who, like, ideologically were opposed to him. Everyone else in Europe wanted to get rid of him. He was the nightmare of Europe, as he was nicknamed. And then, I guess <laughs> just when anyone's too powerful, other powerful guys are, like, yeah. said down to the river and... Say yeah. no to this? You know Nightmare yeah, on you My Street? This, uh, Napoleon guy. <laughs> you know the Will Smith song Nightmare <laughs> on My Street? <clears throat> yeah. It's after about Napoleon. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but he uses Freddy Krueger as an analogy. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> on Fresh Prince, every uh, episode, Uncle Philip would throw Napoleon out of the door. By the way. He's always wearing those sunglasses and kind of a loud shirt. By the way, so Napoleon having a baby with this new woman was a relief to him because Josephine had two kids from a previous relationship, but she couldn't with Napoleon. And people started a rumor that Napoleon was impotent. So he was relieved to have a new baby to go, I'm not impotent. I can get it up. Don't forget, this is Mm. pre-Viagra. Yeah. Yeah. So it's really impressive that he can. Yes. All they had in France. (laughs) James, Uh, don't worry. It's really impressive that he can. If you couldn't get a boner in France, (laughs) all they had was garlic. So um, we're kind of now getting to basically the beginning of Napoleon's downfall. Right. Round one. Or round one. Okay. So we'll get to it. So it's 1812 and Russia uh, wants to invade Poland to recapture Poland. Um, (laughs) Which I believe at this part is at this point is part of the French Empire. I think at this point. So um, against the advice of most of his generals and counselors, Napoleon amassed 
a 685,000 manned Grand Armée, the largest fielded army on Earth at that point, to invade Russia. Um, so he's going into Russia to fight them. The 400,000 Russian soldier, soldiers, they keep pulling back towards Moscow. They keep pulling back into Russia, and France is pursuing and this is like, them. Oh, is this as, that time? This is as winter is that setting in. Time, it, winter is coming. <laughs> winter is coming, as they say, in Russia. It's like they use Moscow as a trap, right? Exactly. So they're going into Russia. The Russian troops are doing like scorched earth on the way back, so there's there's no like resources for the French army to, to use. And they're um, all getting dysentery and shitting themselves and getting bitten by mosquitoes. Yeah, probably not Freezing. mosquitoes, but Win- yes. Winter mosquitoes. <laughs> a- after the first week, Napoleon was losing a thousand horses a day, but he pressed on anyway, aiming for this decisive victory to bring Russia to a surrender. Um, so he gets his shot. He reaches Moscow, and he does eke out a win in this one battle. Um, but the Russians just keep receding, and Napoleon he gets to Moscow, and he thinks, "Okay, this is we we did it, boys," and he's hoping to spend the winter there. He finds that, as Chris mentioned, the Russians had turned Moscow into a smoldering husk of a city. It had been abandoned by the Tsar. So and they like, burned it. Yeah. Now who's doing tricks? So Napoleon, <laughs> they're, they're, they're like, what the hell? You know, we thought it'd be a huge deal to go to Moscow and it's just this burned city. So Napoleon made a critical mistake by resting in Moscow for two weeks where his men had already resorted to eating their own horses. Um, so now they've got low supplies and Napoleon is like, what the hell? We can't keep going into Russia and they keep receding. It's so cold, etc. So Napoleon takes his army on the long march back to France, resulting in possibly the most devastating retreat in history of the 400,000 troops who went into Russia for France, fewer than 40,000 came back. So with Napoleon's army decimated, um, he, he rushed back to France and declared an emergency draft to raise a new army. And Russia's like, oh, this is great. So they marched toward France and they rallied all the other European states that had kind of been cowed by France, like Austria, Prussia, Sweden, and dozen, dozens of sort of German countries. And... Um, they're all like, let's get together. They're getting subsidies from Britain. They're like, let's get together and finally uh, get Br- Napoleon. Britain's a little like cream in their jeans. What's that? And, sorry, and feel all right. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Evany said Britain's creaming their jeans. <laughs> wow, you were singing that. <laughs> um, let's get together and cream our jeans. <laughs> R.I.P. Bob Marley. Yeah, it's so weird he had that one song about everyone creaming their <laughs> everyone jeans. Everyone in Britain creaming their jeans. Cream it up. <laughs> Specifically in jeans, cream it up. <laughs> um, so yeah, all of Europe's like, let's get rid of Napoleon. This is our chance. They have this big battle called the Battle of Dresden in 1813. 90,000 casualties. And um, it's all going to hell for Napoleon. So Damn. while this war is going, the way, while, you know, this war is going and it's looking rough for France, the Allies make Napoleon an offer. They say, hey, you can remain emperor, but you got to go back to your natural borders. You got to give up Spain and the Netherlands and Italy and Germany. And Napoleon said, mm, he thought he was going to win the war. He, he just didn't 
didn't say yes. And so he lost that opportunity. And the war went on further and was going bad for France. And the, the Allies offered another offer where they just he just had to give up a bit more land. And Napoleon's like, nah. And he kind of fucked up. I wouldn't either. So the Yeah, it's hard to imagine the man that's conquered all of Europe's gonna be like, you know what? That's more than fair. Here you go. <laughs> happy to just quietly nope, rule happy this. Happy to meet you in the middle on this yeah, one. Yeah, no. Like a Kijiji uh, negotiation. And again, Craigslist. at this point, he's made all his siblings like kings and queens of all of Europe. Yeah. At one point, he's declared that he do- he doesn't require sleep and he just stays up for 36 hours <laughs> and then falls asleep in a meeting. Holy like shit. he's... He's kind of, yeah, he's drunk his own Kool-Aid at this point. I will give you some land back if you give us some mayonnaise for our horse meat sandwiches. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I would We've developed like. a taste for it. <laughs> give us horses and mayonnaise, please. You so, can have Spain. So now uh, Napoleon... I love the idea of all these weird French guys going crazy and desiring horse meat forever <laughs> after Russia. Yeah, they've decided they like it. <laughs> Um, so Napoleon's retreated to France. The Allies are closing in. He has some incredible victories holding them off, but eventually he's just so outnumbered. He has no chance. Paris falls. The Allies have got him, and they say, look, we'll give you peace, but Napoleon has to step down. Napoleon doesn't want to do it, but he has no choice. He steps down. And all the down. guys that Chris is talking about down by the river being like, fuck this guy, are ready to step in and be like, bonjour, Britain, no problem. <laughs> We'd love to take over. <clears throat> yeah. Right. I love that shit. So, I mean, as much as I love a man, uh, megalomaniacal tyrant going buck wild, I love the scheming behind the scenes, too. Yeah. It's hitting. so delicious. <laughs> yum, yum, yum. A <laughs> <laughs> two, Brutus, you little naughty boy. <laughs> um, so, the rest of Europe. They're so afraid of Napoleon. They're like, oh my God, we got him. I mean, they saw him as the sole obstacle to the restoration of peace in Europe. So they weren't just going to like kind of put him under house arrest or something like that. Um, In the Treaty of Fontainebleau, the Allies exiled Napoleon to Elba, an island of 12,000 people in the Mediterranean near the Tuscan coast. They still were pretty nice to him about this exile, honestly. They gave him sovereignty over the island and allowed him to retain the title of emperor. Um, he had a it's co- such a funny burn, though, to be like, now yeah. you can be king of this little island. I guess it is a burn. <laughs> it's like walking by a room in an insane yeah. asylum be like, yes, you're the emperor. <laughs> guess you're Take right. your pills. He did get a lot of money, though, and... Um, he even got his own tiny navy. <laughs> I guess it's all truly, really passive aggressive. Um, so this was, yeah, this was in 1814. And Napoleon, he kind of hung out on the island for a few months. He obsessively micromanaged every aspect of his little palace and the lives of his 12,000 inhabitants, including where to plant trees and how to build the town fountain. He can't help himself. He can't. So he's he's exiled on Elba. It's like an open air prison. But he decides, you know what? Fuck this. I'm not done yet. So he convinces I guess it was the army on the island, hey Ebony? It starts with the army on the island. Right. Yeah. So so he convinces the army on the island, let's do this. Let's 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 give this one more go. So Napoleon escapes his exile. He escapes Elba with seven hundred men. And he's in his pajamas? Yes. 
The kind with a little butt flap at the back. Yeah, <laughs> probably. <laughs> a Two red day, onesie. He gets in a boat with this army. Stank butt sticking out the flap. Yeah. He gets in a boat with this army. Sorry, James. Of 700 men. Gets on a boat. Two days later, he arrives on the French mainland. Now, I'm not a major history person, but I took history in school. And this is this part, I think, is the coolest thing I've ever read about in history, for me personally. Um, and, Ebony, you can describe it if you want, or I have it written here, whatever you prefer. Well, you describe it as most people know it, and then I'll tell you what okay, actually perfect. happened. So... As I know Napoleon. it from just reading books that may be also lying to me. But. You know, he's like, so he's escaped Elba. He's arrived in France. He's exiled. He's an, you know, an enemy. But over the course of 22 days, Napoleon walked from the Mediterranean Sea to Paris and in the process went from being an outlaw to the emperor of France again. He, was, he worked his way toward Paris and random militias he encountered along the way joined him on sight. If the few who didn't join him refused to oppose him. The king, the French Bourbon king Louis XVIII, repeatedly sent armies, go stop Napoleon. He's marching back to Paris. Go stop him. The armies would go and confront Napoleon and then immediately join him to go back to Paris. This included um, an army led by Napoleon's longtime lieutenant, General Ney, who had publicly betrayed Napoleon upon his abdication, and Napoleon instantly forgave him, reinstated him as a lieutenant, took his men, and they marched on Paris together. Um, There was another story where uh, the 5th Regiment was sent to intercept Napoleon, and Napoleon approached the regiment alone, got off his horse, and when he was within gunshot range, said to the soldiers, Here I am! Kill your emperor if you wish. And the soldiers quickly responded with, Vive l'empereur! Napoleon is the greatest man who's ever lived on this planet. But then, <laughs> yes. this is where I think this gets even cooler. And, and we'll just end oh, it. sorry. But he makes his way to fucking Paris, and he becomes the goddamn emperor again. Which is so crazy that he did. Like, it's so cool. <laughs> he left an island in a boat in With, his pajamas. And walked over the mountain. Yeah. <laughs> like <laughs> Cross the Alps again. Yeah. But then this is where I think it even takes it up a notch with his crazy like PR brilliance because up to this point I forgot he also has started doing things like before he's exiled where he starts dieting he adopts that hat which initially started on the battlefield he would turn his hat so you could always recognize him on the battlefield his men could see him that's why he wears the sideways hat but then he starts adopting he starts wearing clothes that allow him to make easy to paint in profile and all these things (laughs) like you already kind of know what he looks like when he's coming he's already created like he's bigger than himself like looks everyone recognizes him which feels ominous which feels ominous then he's exiled but then not only does he cross the Alps does he get everyone to join him does he take back France but the actual way he does it while it's cool to imagine that he just shows up and says it it's actually so much more calculated so those guys that he said would you kill your emperor and they say no he sent emissaries three days in advance to ingratiate himself with those guys to be like hey man quick pull if we were to be riding and you saw the cut figure that we all know so well of Napoleon on a horse uh, out of nowhere and he puts a little hand in his little shirt and he 
said this, what would you do? Do you think you'd shoot him or you think you'd join him? And they took polls and he would route his <laughs> army towards the guys that are like, I think we'd join him. And then he would show up and he'd have the moment documented where he said this to like people <laughs> who had already been polled saying this is already like a positive voter Whoa. base. We're coming with you. And then it goes down in history as these crazy. But I think that's even more insane. <laughs> like, like the back building of the cult of personality to do that and the weird machinations to be like, well, I don't actually want them to shoot me. That would ruin the whole thing. So you go ahead and ask them if they'd he's be cool with me. Buzz. Being, yeah, he's planting buzz. He's checking <laughs> in so that it seems that he has no obstacles and he avoids the towns and armies that won't join him. So that what it seems like and is the reality is that n- every single person joined him because they deliberately went those Inexorable. Mm-hmm. Which like, I think yeah. is even crazier and more calculated. What's the word when you send one? Like, uh, not envoy? A huh? Like an envoy? Or That's a... a yeah. Yeah, one envoy? Would you send one? Or like, but it's like they're feelers. They're mm. not like as mm. much, like, it's not like strategy, like, there's a guard that stands here and they switch guards at this time. And they just comes back and being like, everyone's kind of in. Yeah. Everyone's kind of into it. <laughs> like, there's a reason like Trump doesn't feelers. give rallies in Greenwich Village. You know what I mean? Like, they test out <laughs> where he's going to be popular and he goes there. He got that from Napoleon. <laughs> he got that. From Napoleon. But I always thought that was so funny and insane that that famous moment of him saying that was from days of guys being so it like... It wasn't just purely organic. It was no, like very... it was or- one of the most calculated... Orchestrated. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. I didn't know that. But it's still that. organic in the sense that it comes from Napoleon's strategy. Yeah, yes. That's and right. it was all the strategy he'd built and he still did escape with 700 guys in his footy pajamas from an <laughs> island. But all the strategy he'd built up to that point allowed him to do this in a way that is truly one of the most... And it's like the coolest history story I feel like ever. It's incredible. It's nuts. Um, So, yeah, he gets back to Paris and he's the fucking emperor again. With all his fanboys, all his fans. They call this the hundred days. So Napoleon gets back in power and he's like, we're going back to war, boys. (laughs) And he leaves Paris with 200,000 men and he decides I'm going to take on the coalition forces yet again which is Britain and Prussia. And um, unfortunately for Napoleon, this this uh, sort of uh, fairy tale... Uh, where, where was this battle? It was the Battle of Waterloo. <laughs> the oh. General Wellington. He, he faced General Wellington at the Battle of Waterloo. You might know Smelly the Abba, Abba song. <laughs> is the steak named after him? Waterloo steak? <laughs> Beef Wellington. <laughs> Oh my god! I'm like, my brain's dead. It must be. I bet it is. Um, in in a celebration. Well, and I re- I heard a thing recently. It's like in in England, there like it, there's a metro state or like a train station called Wellington Station, and in Paris, it's Austerlitz Station. Oh no, it's Waterloo Station and Austerlitz Station. Yeah, and yeah, Waterloo Steak and Austerlitz Steak. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway. Uh, he has the Battle of Waterloo, and General Wellington defeats Napoleon, and Napoleon's armies evaporate at this point, and his spell is broken. He loses popular support. Napoleon returns to Paris, and the legislature and the people have turned against him. They're over him. Realizing his position was untenable, he abdicates in favor of his son. And you know, then Napoleon's like, what the hell am I going to do? He thought about going to the U.S., Imagine USA. Napoleon in Chicago or starting Tucson, a chain of dry Arizona. clean businesses that would ultimately become an empire. Napoleon in Miami. 
Um, <laughs> Napoleon in Wisconsin, just keeping it quiet. Solving crimes in the Florida Keys. <laughs> <laughs> I think one of his brothers did end up like actually going to America. Yeah, he I, did. I, yeah. The wow. weird one, Lucien, I think, who was like a bit of a hothead, but also the only one that was as smart as Napoleon. So he was like, you can't be in politics. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, but yeah, the British got Napoleon. And, and so they're yeah. like, okay, we tried exiling you once. This time we're really exiling you. And they sent him to St. Helena, which is in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. And quick random shout out to my brother, Fenton. He was there a few months ago on a sailing journey Damn. he stopped there he That's wasn't exiled there he was an exile, he was an exile oh, okay. but he took photos the, the, the town of kingston ontario decided he was <laughs> yeah. much of a menace but what you still see napoleon's pajamas on a rock <laughs> what a place to stop though <laughs> hanging from a flagpole like in a cartoon <laughs> yeah. so yeah now napoleon's in saint helena and uh, the Bonk. british took the precaution of sending a small garrison of soldiers there and um to prevent any escape it was not very nice it was damp it was bad conditions. Some people think the British were sort of hoping you'd just get sick and die. Here's a question. Maybe you know James or maybe you know El- uh, Ebony. Why, at this point, they could have just executed him. Why did they not do it? They I wanted agree. to humiliate what? him? What? Not he- turn him into a martyr? Partially, I think. But it also is It is another like spectacular thing of his legacy. Because, yeah, I think it would have martyred him in a way. But also... You know, they still had the gu- guillotine. Uh, Britain wasn't a hand. You know, they had already killed a monarch like they easily could have. Right. And the fact that he still got his own son on the throne after all <laughs> of that, that they were like, well, you're done, but your son can do it. The bloodline seems good. Uh, it's also crazy. They should have killed him. I had the exact same question, Mike. Like, I yeah, don't know why was either. Nuts. Was it. Was it like was it like a gentleman? That actually thing? always confused me. Me too. Napoleon thir- three or whatever. Is it because the elites treated themselves with a little bit of like dignity in a way? Like it was like unseen. Not after seventeen eighty nine. Or maybe right. it was yeah, respect yeah. for like a figure who in the must have been the you know biggest person in the world at that moment. Were they was afraid it? of his ghost coming back <laughs> to haunt them? Maybe. He made a lot of ghost threats. <laughs> but I think it must have been the martyr thing, Mike. I think that must be the reason right. because. And he did, like, when he was on St. Helena it, in his full, like, kookdom, got really into gardening daisies, for real. Uh, <laughs> but then also, like, he was like, I wore the crown of France and the iron crown of uh, of Italy, and now I wear a crown. Of, like, just fully comparing himself to Jesus at the end of his life. So I think already they knew that that was where it was going. So and, they were like, die of a cold. And he'd have dinners <laughs> and expect guests to wear military dress and evening gowns and stuff um, still. Um, he wrote a book about Julius Caesar while he was exiled, one of his great heroes. Hey. And and Ebony, yeah, like you say, uh, gardening, and he was an avid card player there. And he played solitaire, apparently. Bummer. Um, apparently his last words on his deathbed were, we had fun, eh? <laughs> <laughs> um, this was a detail that I'm going to choose to believe was kind of cute and not creepy. But I read that while he was exiled, he made friends with a 14-year-old girl named Betty Balcombe, and he found her utterly charming, and the accounts of everyone around Napoleon, including her father, were that the relationship was not creepy. It was just genuinely he made friends with a local girl, and they would chat, and he found her funny. Hey, Let's remember this is the most successful propagandist in the history of the world. <laughs> yeah, sure, I'm I sure guess, everyone was saying that. I guess who knows. <laughs> if the former emperor of Europe wanted to hang out with my 14-year-old daughter, I would be honored. <laughs> Um, so there were rumors of of, uh, plots and maybe of an escape but it never happened 
He grew sickly and his health deteriorated rap- rapidly. And he died in 1821 at 51. That happens to a lot of people after they retire. They have no mission, mm-hmm. like mission in life. Pushing. 50, them they don't meet a cool 14 year old girl to hang out with. It's over. Yeah. And, he, and then he, they die. He needed stuff to do. He's the kind of guy he couldn't sit around on a Saturday yeah. watching t- a Blue Jays game like me. He'd need to be tinkering yeah. and doing <laughs> stuff, you know. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Real Bezos. that's the story of Napoleon. That I was mean, incredible. Wow. Yeah. Like this is the end of the second episode. We've gotten so much information out. So what I've learned so far is this new um, movie starring Joaquin Phoenix is going to be shit. <laughs> I'm so mad. <laughs> How long is it? Because you'd think it would need to be an s- eight-hour movie, yeah. like two parts, or an eight-hour. Maybe yeah. it just focuses on one element. Yeah, just the black when he realizes Josephine has black teeth. <laughs> No. It's just him hunting yeah. down the best dentist in yeah. France for two and a half hours. Zoot. I just think Joaquin, like, I just think it's str- like part of what is so amazing about Napoleon is like a lot of the great stuff he did. He did before he was thirty at a time where that was still impressive. It wasn't about short life expectancy. Everyone was like, no one's done this before they're thirty. Yeah. And Joaquin Phoenix is currently two years younger than Napoleon when he died. Yeah. He was already like. If Joaquin Phoenix was him, he'd already it's be in Saint Helena of. playing solitaire, getting you a picture cold. Napoleon as a constant ball of fire, or at least ball, his eyes are balls of <laughs> yeah. flame, uh, constantly scheming, constantly hungry, uh, you know, obsessive. And Joaquin Phoenix is every clip we've seen in him, and we watched the second trailer tonight. He's sleeping. He's sleepy. He's trying to be he's cool. Got no, he's a yeah, he's trying to be emperor. cool, Napoleon. Like Napoleon was not cool. No, he was. And like, they yeah, he's acting like Napoleon is like, I got this. Yeah, I no always problem. got this. That's not how, <laughs> and they say that Napoleon, one of his weird skills that's so crazy was like he could summon fake crazy anger. So he'd just lose his shit in like meetings, <laughs> and everyone be like, okay, 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 you can have what you want. Which is like the opposite, like Joaquin Phoenix is making it like he's They've like... They've not shown one clip so far of any energy from None. Napoleon. He barely raises his voice above he's the vocal nodes he seems to have. Yeah, yeah. Surfer, <laughs> surfer Napoleon. Yeah. Vegan Napoleon, <laughs> if you will. Yeah. Napoleon. It, he, he's playing him like he's never had a beef wellington. <laughs> Napoleon beef goes Waterloo. To, <laughs> Napoleon goes to war against the dairy industry. Oh my God. Honestly... It looks like this Ridley Scott movie is like, what if Napoleon never had steak? <laughs> or an, uh, like, an, uh, yeah, an iron What deficiency. if Napoleon was anemic? And I, I bet Joaquin made him cut out the part where they eat those horses. He wouldn't yeah. film that. And it is historically inaccurate, we, yeah. I, th- I think, because there's like that scene where he's dressed as Napoleon and he's dancing on that staircase <laughs> in the Bronx. It's <laughs> like, hey. Yeah. That didn't happen. Are you sure? <laughs> oh, I think they fucked up. And here's the the thing too is like I stupidly stumbled upon some puff piece somehow. I can't remember, you know, everything just shows up in your face now mm. on your phone. Like your algorithm goes here. I don't know even know how I get the articles I read half the time now, but it, I love movies and stuff and so one of the articles was like Ridley Scott half joking but half saying like 2 weeks before filming so two weeks before an incredible epic where you're number one, you're on camera probably most of this fucking epic movie, and he's joking like, Joaquin Phoenix came to me panicked saying, I don't know how I'm going to play this guy. I'm freaking out. I don't know how I'm going to do it. 
And that's not funny to me. That's not a good puff piece to sell your movie. And then they, and then they start showing trailers like a, a month later, and he's literally not being Napoleon. So I think what who put who let that puff piece out? Where it's the choice like, to not play Napoleon as Napoleon as like a cool move is really weird. Yeah, yeah. Play him as a raving genius. Yeah, Psychopath. like in Bill and Ted. Play him like in Bill and Ted. I want to see him running around an arcade. The dude yeah. in Bill and Ted nailed it. <laughs> He's guys really, really good. It's hard to believe that Joaquin Phoenix ever was a guy who like, struggled with women and then that drove him crazy to try and conquer the world. <laughs> like He doesn't yeah. read like that kind of guy. He seems like a guy who... Uh, he can't stop cool. getting BJ's. Yeah, <laughs> I can't even st- get them to stop. <laughs> I'm exhausted <laughs> from pleasure. <laughs> well, yeah, like he doesn't even raise his voice on the fucking battlefield. <laughs> I'm saying, yeah, I'm mad too. And Josephine's like young and hot, and it's implied they're in love. I'm like, no, man, no. She's an old. Dowager She's an old black bitch. Well, we haven't seen the movie. We've only seen the trailer. Chris and I are protesting it. I okay. will go see it the day it comes out. <laughs> I genuinely uh, am never attracted to Ridley Scott movies from 2000 and on. Is that bad? Black Hawk Down really sealed the deal for you. Eh? <laughs> Did he do Actually, a- Gladiator, I think, is one of the most overhyped movies. I agree. I, 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 I agree. I I think like, I have... What are you talking about? It's ha- so corny. I have a soft spot for it because it was like one of the first movies I bought on DVD and I just... <laughs> it was like a teenager. So you have it for the technology. No, I'll yeah. tell you what my innovation. soft spot is. Yeah. Because I've brought him up many times on this podcast. Oliver Reed mm. is in it for like two minutes and it's some of the best acting I've ever seen from an old grizzled man who's about to die and... He did die during the filming of it, drinking and arm wrestling in a bar at night. <laughs> and um, it was. The but fir- that's the best thing. You got Richard Burton. Uh, no, Richard. Um, uh, Pryor. What? Simmons. Richard Pryor. Richard Simmons. You got Richard Simmons exercising yeah, you in the middle scene of where Richard Pryor and Richard Simmons have to <laughs> fight a lion before, in the pit. <laughs> before they bring out the gladiators, Richard, Richard Simmons leads the crowd at a workout. God. Well, Richard I- Pryor does tight one-liners. <laughs> Richard Harris, you got, got Vint, old Richard Harris and old Oliver Reed in this crazy movie. I think it was the first time they used like computer graphics to fake a person too. Like they yeah. they kept Oliver Reed. They added yeah. scenes where he was. But sort you of, can mm. see if you put the play the two scenes side by side, he's making the same facial expressions. It's oh, bizarre. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, shall we be paid a visit by the evilometer? Fuck Ridley oh, Scott. Oh, everyone, everyone, get on your knees and bow down to the evilometer. He's wearing um, that famous Napoleonic hat, and he's uh, holding. Uh, he's, he's he has a big cannon. He's pushing in and, front of him, and he's smelling my crotch. What oh. are you trying to? What smell are you trying Evil-o-meter. to find? Oh, and he's. Um, standardizing all measurements and the monetary system and bringing in uh, meritocracy. He's widening the roads. <laughs> so, Ebony, um, y- you may know the rules of the evilometer. One is the least evil. Ten is the most evil. I mean, this is a this is a big one. What score do you give Napoleon Bonaparte? Let's do them in French. Um, okay. Should we count to three in French and then all say the number in French we would give him? Mm. <laughs> you, you sure? Well, well okay. <laughs> if you want. No. Okay. Un, deux, trois, cinq. cinq. Ooh, 
So, Ebony, you said... Oh, I didn't get the rules. <laughs> I made them confusing, and James didn't like that I did that. Well, it may be confusing to a so listener. So, you said sank, you said cease. But I'm I'm torn between sank and cease. I'm torn between five and six. So, say 5.5. Yeah. 5.5. There's a part of me that's like, from an old, old standpoint, ancient times, I mean, I guess, you know, we're well into... It's the Romantic era. He was leading armies when, like, William Wordsworth was writing poems. That's actually a pretty fucked up thing to think of. But, like, anyways, still, olden times. Yeah, Lord Byron was a big fan of his. <laughs> I really yeah. had a bust of Napoleon. In what yeah. happened? That's fucking crazy. I can't picture it. With the monarchies of Europe and the French Revolution, if a Napoleon hadn't happened... Would it have gone back to just absolute monarchy forever, or would the revolution had have spread across Europe in a insane way? Like Napoleon was a perfect like um, blend of the best of both ideas, maybe. I That's, know it's why you can't rank him too equal. But, but then he also I'm, did fully brutal on the battlefield. But this is yes. what I'm saying. Like post World War Two is kind of weirdly. This bizarre time in all of human history where majority of people go, war, no war, war is bad. Whereas up until like, yeah, a hundred years ago or so. It was the natural order every few years. There was a. Yeah. It was like, ah, spring cleaning. But the difference is nuclear weapons, I think. And also, nuclear weapons, like everybody who watched Hiroshima and then went, hey, peace, man. (laughs) And also, like like you alluded to, Mike, I remember learning that, yeah, like like you alluded to, battles were sort of two armies meet in a field and fight and like, well, that's that. World War One, And there'd be a treaty immediately. Yeah, World War One was the first war where it's like you're in the trenches and there's like a physical representation of the land you're taking, you know? What I'm getting at is sometimes it's weird to retroactively look back at a person who th- is doing what exactly what they think they need to do and judging them from the standards of right now. But even people back then were like, you bayoneted 3,000 guys on a beach for no reason? Like, even, <laughs> yeah. back, even in 1799, they were like, whoa. Yeah, that's So insane. there is, a, and like he was the nightmare. So there is a way, but it's like, you know, he did what other men you could describe as evil would do, but then he did all these po- like positive. Yeah, but things. every single Roman emperor who is still celebrated to this day, like basically ate young boys and threw their bones <laughs> off a cliff. You see what I'm saying? So yeah. it's like, and then people will just be like, put their face on a coin. <laughs> you know, like everyone's insane. I will, is what I'm getting at. <laughs> I will say, like, cool meter. I give him a ten. Oh yeah, it's incredibly <laughs> cool. It's just yeah, that's I'm, I'm what I'm trying I, there's a reason I'm obsessed with. But it's just we, may, e- we need a coolometer. An evilometer, yeah. I'd, I'd go five. And Mike, you were five. Yes, I might yeah. go five. I'm gonna go five point five. <laughs> but I do think. Imagine for all the things Napoleon invented, he also invented the coolometer on this podcast. Oh. <laughs> I bet a lot of guys would get zero. It is cool. Ten. To, it is, I do like bringing out the coolometer. I would once like. In a what while. does the coolometer look like? Ooh. Fine, I'm going sank as well because it's. Conflicting because the story is like none other ever existed on this planet. It's insane. Yeah. I mean, yeah, maybe you brought up Alexander the Great a couple times. Maybe there's a slight similarity, but... In the military aspect, yes. But he... Napoleon was this weird, once-in-a-history 
time in history. of a person who combined like military brilliance with like cultural and scientific and yeah. political and like organizational skills into this one weird guy. Well, Alexander catapulted the, the world was a into the modern of the arts. What's that? I mean, yes, he brought all the arts back to Rome, but he he was aware of the culture and the importance of the cultures that he was invading. But anyways, I agree with you. This is what I'm saying about <laughs> Napoleon. It's fucking crazy. Yeah. I wonder He's, if anyone he, in the... That's f- what I'm saying. It's like he almost doesn't deserve to be called evil, which is psycho to say. Even though he... Yeah. Even though he was savage and bizarre. That's why we're all giving a safe five. That's why we're all giving a safe five. <laughs> safe five. Or, or a naughty 5.5 for me. I wonder if anyone in the future will like... Um, aspire to be just like ancient Rome the way that he did, you know? Well, there are all those Doesn't like right anymore. people on Twitter who are like, admire uh, Western civilization architecture and wet, like anyone with like a Roman sculpture in their yep. bio, they also are mostly like Nazis. <laughs> but well, they're the like, Nazi salute <laughs> is a Roman salute. Right. That's where they got that. And they the whole thing with the Reich was inspired by the Roman Empire too, right? Yeah. Like, but I also think Caesar, like I, I think Caesar brought that back. I think, like as a more present reference to Rome, they were like, yeah, <laughs> like he did, and we'll do that again. Right. Julius Caesar was the first emperor, right? Like, didn't he sort of like, wasn't he the first sort of like he ruined the, he revolted against the democracy of Rome. There had been a Republic of Rome, and a then, Republic of Rome, but I don't yeah. know, was he the first? I, I don't remember if he was the first. Well, and we didn't get into this, and I know we have to end the podcast, but in a way that's quite, because he created the first triumvirate, and Napoleon did exactly the same thing, and there was even kind of a stage thing when they were making that coup, someone did come in to the hall where they were doing this and tried to stab Napoleon, Like he, ba- but he survived. <laughs> like, he staged it exactly like what Caesar did, but he didn't get stabbed. Yeah, Napoleon was double Caesar to the max. He was double <laughs> Caesar to the max, and that was his goal. That's kind of and that awesome. was his goal. And literally <laughs> in the it. French Revolution, like you would, like someone you wanted to, like if you wanted to start a rumor about someone that would get them guillotined, he'd be like, he really fancies himself a Caesar. That's literally what you would say, and wow. that would take you to the guillotine. And 15 years later, he was like, but I am Caesar, doubled, and they all went, <laughs> love it. Imagine t- 200 years from now, people are talking about Trump, like. This old man beat him because everybody was scared. He tried to lead it cool, but it didn't work. But then in 2024, he came back wearing diapers in his wide <laughs> pants, shitting himself, and he still made himself president that, that, again. And he that's talked like, about how you can't flush toilets the way you used to. And it was an amazing speech. That's like his march from Elba. Like yeah. <laughs> yeah. With his wide pants. He crosses the links at his resort. <laughs> at Mar-a-Lago. At Mar- Mar-a-Lago. He was exiled to Mar-a-Lago and he <laughs> marched back to D.C. <laughs> Gross. Damn. Well, that was incredible. Ebony, Thank amazing. You, that was so fun. Um, yeah, thanks so much. Invigorating. I'm glad. And reinvigorating. Thanks for letting me be a nerd on your podcast. And I was sick of planet Earth. And you reinvigorated <laughs> my love for it. And if you liked, you know, if you found Ebony's historical observations interesting, you should totally buy her book. What I think happened, you could get it, you know, online at Amazon or wherever you buy your books. I'm sure at lots of other bookstores too. We'll put the link in the the show notes. Yeah. yeah. And Ebony, you have a TV show coming out. I guess I don't even know if you can announce it yet, but you I think I can announce it. Uh, but there's nothing to see yet. But it's called Davy and Jonesy's Locker, and it'll be out in March on Amazon Prime in Canada and on Hulu in the States. And 
just really file that away for March, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Chris and nice. Mike, amazing job. I mean, as oh, always, James, so great fun. job. Great to see you, Chris. Great job. God, that was such a good job, guys. And great job, James. Thank you. James is always so good at he's this. He's so nice. Oh, he's the <laughs> nicest guy in the biz. God, he's so fucking and nice. And he doesn't have an ulterior motive at all. No, I he don't. Doesn't. I actually don't. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Well, that was another great episode of. <laughs> has been brought to you by the Sonar Network. So